Hello, welcome to 10 Blocks, the podcast of City Journal. My name is Seth Barron. I'm associate editor at City Journal. Joining me today is Nicole Gelinas, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor to City Journal. Hi, Nicole. Good afternoon, Seth. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. We're here to talk about the current uh, civil unrest that's broken out across the country and in New York City. Uh, Right now, as I speak, I hear helicopters buzzing around a few blocks from my house. There's a few thousand people in Washington Square Park chanting, you know, with signs saying defund the NYPD, uh, all kinds of vulgarities, um, which, you know, aren't fit for a family podcast. And the area every night has been uh, besieged by looters and arson. There was a fire down in my corner the other night. Uh, police vans have been torched. Uh, there's been all kinds of violence. The mayor's daughter was arrested uh, during a big protest. Um, Nicole, what's your take on what's going on and how is this going to impact New York City? Well, yeah, I can't say that it's been any better up here. I mean, I'm probably 30 blocks north of you, just west of Midtown. I took a, we we obviously, we had a looting and unrest last night, you know, multiple small skirmishes around here. And today I walked around and businesses just receiving piles of lumber to just board up everything. I mean, hundreds of minority men, essential workers, having to go out during a pandemic that's still raging and board up restaurants, stores, office entrances, cultural organizations all around Midtown and Times Square. So, you know, it really looks like a war zone out there. And I think uh, it's it, this is really going to hurt our long-term recovery. I mean, the city has 350,000 people who work in retail. A lot of these stores, you know, I know a lot of people don't like chain stores, you know, who cares about Sephora or whatever, but they're they're really going to be thinking twice about reopening. I mean, they already had a real challenge in reopening after three months of pandemic lockdown. And it's like, well, were their customers going to be coming back into office towers and be the foot traffic to go into these stores? Are the tourists going to come back? And now they just have another huge uncertainty. You know, if they open up and bring staff back, and spends and invest a lot of money just to get back up. Are we going to see riots that just take away all of the investment that they just made and just set them back again? So I think we're going to see a lot of stores boarded up indefinitely, which just sends a horrible message around the world about where New York is right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, we've heard a lot about the second wave infection that, that that's upon us in the fall. Who's to say there couldn't be a second wave of of riots? Um, because New York, New York city does not seem like they've done a very good job of containing it. Um, we have 36,000 police officers and we spend six, $7 billion a year on our police force. Uh, it has some of the most advanced equipment, the best trained supposedly officers in the world, uh, logistically, strategically, you know, tactically, I think they're well ahead of the curve. Yet, a few hundred, um, you know, thugs, looters, anarchists, what have you, seem to be stymieing the police. Uh, is this a failure of of the the police department, or is it that they're not 
allowed to exercise, to, to really show force? I think it's really a failure of the civilian government. The de Blasio administration appoints the police commissioner. They control police strategy. It is not at all clear what the police strategy is here. So in order to execute a strategy competently, which perhaps the NYPD is or is not doing, we would have to know what the strategy is. So there's two things going on, right? We've got peaceful protests. It is so cynical for New York City politicians to encourage people to go out and endanger themselves during a pandemic when the reforms that the peaceful protesters are calling for, Albany State Legislature and the City Council could have an emergency session today, pass these reforms, pass the reforms for more accountability on police brutality, pass the reforms to release police disciplinary records. I mean, those seem to be the concrete asks for peaceful protest. Instead, we have a political class that is basically safe at home telling uh, uh, protesters who are, you know, minority, but also some non-minority people, you have to endanger yourselves or we're not going to listen to you. We're not going to do this. Like, what kind of message is that? But the other thing we have is an offshoot of this, which is, you know, anarchists, provocateurs, common criminals. And, you know, there's a lot of them. I mean, there's at least a few hundred, probably a couple of thousand of them targeting Manhattan businesses to uh, break windows, to vandalize, and to steal. So, you know, I, I think with the peaceful protests, realistically, the best the NYP can, NYPD can do is crowd control if the political class won't tell people to stay home. But I don't see how this goes on with the looters much, much longer. I mean, we can't have the Manhattan and the city tax space destroyed because a small fraction of the protesters, but big enough to do a lot of damage, just is not going to stop until everything is burned out. Well, it's interesting. You, you said a few things there that piqued my interest. Um, one is this idea that, like the political leaders you're talking about, they keep differentiating between, well, there's the peaceful protesters, and then there's the rioters and the looters, and they're like, yes, they're not protesters. At the same time, they decry supposed police brutality when the police step in to stop rioting and they say you're just hurting peaceful protesters. Um, so it's like they want to have it both ways. Well, these are the pro these are protesters, but they're not protesters. Yeah. Another thing that interests me is this idea that I guess this we you know maybe we should break this up, but two weeks ago Governor Cuomo went on television every single day and warned us that anyone who went outside was going to kill their neighbor. Anyone who broke quarantine, anyone who was being careless, was, putting his, was trying to kill his mother. De Blasio, too. But now, all of a sudden, because people want to protest what everyone acknowledges to be deep, systemic, structural racism that goes back 400 years, it has to be addressed immediately. And so you can waive all the pandemic restrictions for that purpose. Uh, it, it seems a little um, jarring. Yeah, I mean, it's striking that you have a 
you have a completely democratic political class with delivers of power uh, still held by white men. I mean, there are there are two minority leaders of, of the state legislature, Carl Hasty and Andrea, Andrea Stewart Cousins, but we have a democratic political class, but yet the very basic concrete asks, they're not able to do. I mean, people have been asking for fast release of police disciplinary records, which I think is a good idea, for at least three years. And Albany and City Hall have just been arguing for three years on how do we do that. So it just shows contempt for, you know, misguided, naive, but truly peaceful protesters to then go on Twitter and say, Oh, we we're with you in these protests. I mean, basically, the political right. class is saying you've got to go out and risk killing your grandmother. Otherwise, we're not going to listen to you. And meanwhile, the gay rights protest is canceled. The June parade, which is like a parade combination, you know, march for action, is canceled. The Puerto Rican Day parade is canceled. An environmental parade. I don't think if anyone asked for a license to hold an environmental parade today, it would be given. So basically, we're seeing that all of these protest movements, it's okay. They can stay home. They can protect their lives. It's only the black protest movement that the political class is going to say, oh, no, we're not going to listen. You have to go out there and put yourself in danger for us to listen to you. Well, I suppose so. But it's not clear to me that, for one thing, it's not clear that the protest, the protests are actually driven by concrete demands. Yes, Jumani Williams and some other political leaders have said that the problem is police, you know, rules about the release of police discipline records and, you know, ending chokeholds and things like that. I'm not so sure that that's really what's driving the people who are marching in on the streets. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, as Errol Lewis wrote today, that's like a a problem with all modern movements from Occupy Wall Street to the Tea Party is like, there's no concrete demands. It's like people are going to continuously march and, and uh, uh, you know, in a sort of disorganized manner, even when some concrete demands are met. But that's, I mean, that is not going to work in this environment. Even peaceful protests where the purpose is like, we're going to shut down traffic for the day or we're going to occupy the Met. That is just going to kill the city's recovery. I mean, there's just, we can't, we can't put up with that for very long before we've basically lost hundreds of thousands or millions of jobs permanently. I mean, so we have to, I think we need some responsible political leader who just has to say, we understand your concerns. This is not the time to be peacefully protesting. And the, uh, for violent looters who are not protesters, we we released all of these looters this morning basically on their own recognizance. I mean, there has to be a credible threat of real jail time and real prison time if you're going to be looting stores during a pandemic. Or at least to, ho- to hold them for two days. I mean, if you could arrest people, slow walk their case, and just hold them to let them cool down for a couple of days. But to, to, to arrest people and then immediately turn them back onto the streets is, is basically saying that what you've done has no punishment and you can go do it again. Continue. Yes, come back tomorrow night and the fun will resume. 
Right. And I think it's a little bit disturbing that, yes, there are a lot of people who say peaceful protesters don't condone any of this looting. And that's fine. I think that's that's true of many, many people. But I see more and more as this goes on, people, you know, quite reasonable people usually under their own names on Twitter and elsewhere saying, well, but people have to loot because otherwise no one's going to listen. So it gets back to what you were saying before. Is this protest or is this just looting? I mean, some of it does seem to be an escalation of the actual protest. And, you know, if we're going to if we're going to do this until we've solved all of the problems of racism and inequality in the world, we're going to be left with no tax base. I mean, 15 percent of Manhattan at least has already left what are the prospects of people coming back into a war zone? And that's tens of billions of dollars of tax revenue that we don't have to pay for after-school programs, that we don't have to pay for fixes to public housing. I mean, this is destroying the tax base that we use for constructive poverty alleviation. Uh, yeah, it seems like there's a great deal of denial uh, among the political class, as you were saying before. Um for instance, Jumani Williams put out his, you know, a te- he's the public advocate of New York. Um, and he put out a 10 point list of what he wants, you know, including all of these, these uh, public safety demands and reforms. But uh, one of the things he says is we can ha- not have any budget cuts. Uh, instead, he has a $20 billion revenue raising plan targeting only, and, you know, he, he's very clear about this, only targeting billionaires and multimillionaires. Well, $20 billion, even if you're a billionaire, even if you're like 50 billionaires, which I don't even know if New York has, is nothing to sneeze at. Um, This idea that you can just continue to, you know, you know, soak the rich. I mean, this really is soaking the rich. We'll just tell the billionaires to pay up. But as you've pointed out, these are people who have options. They don't have to stay here. Um, what, What do you make of this? I mean, is this just cloud cuckoo land thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't venture to go out on a limb, but I would be very surprised if you could find five billionaires in this city right now. I mean, the rich have basically left Manhattan. I mean, there's two, U, we're not rich here, but there's two U-Hauls out there, you know, more middle class, upper middle class people leaving in a panic during a pandemic. I mean, th- this idea that, People are going to come back for the prospect of paying much higher taxes for lower public services and be in this uncertain environment of civil unrest is just not going to work. And by the way, these protests are probably going to cost tens of millions of dollars in police overtime. They're doing tens of millions of uh, destruction on the rioting side to private and public and MTA property. Insurance for running a store is probably going to go up, insurance on an office building, if they're not self-insured. So this idea that we're we're already supposed to be talking about how do we cut the budget over the next month. I mean, we've probably got a $20 billion budget deficit. So we're going to spend the next month consumed by protesting and looting, come out of this into the new fiscal year with no idea how we're going to fund basic services and expect a billionaire and a millionaire class to come back into a disaster to pay higher taxes. Like, yeah, that's, that's really asking for a miracle. Um, 
So where do we um, where do we go from here? What kind of cut? I mean, the cuts that have been proposed so far. I see the council is talking about seven to eight percent reductions. I believe across the board. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I'll give Corey Johnson credit in in that he did before all this started. He called for seven percent across the board budget cuts last week. Now he didn't detail what those cuts should be. All of these politicians, as you know, are terrified of public sector unions, but it's, I mean, we're not going to get out of this with massive reductions to the budget. It's do we do these wisely to preserve basic public services and amenities, or do we wait and just, you know, slash everything in a panic and be be left with an even smaller tax base because we can't service the tax base. But I would I would turn around and ask you, uh, what what do we we have a mayoral election next year, we have city council elections next year. What do you think of the current crop of prospective candidates? And if you maybe don't think well of them, where are we gonna get some leadership to get us out of this? Well, um, I'm not super impressed with the current crop of candidates. Corey Johnson and Scott Stringer, uh, at least on their Twitter statements, have been outrageously obsequious to the to the, and deferential to the principle that protesters, rioters, you know, and just people strewing chaos. Uh, throughout the city have the right to just do this as long as they feel like it, that it's okay for the entire city to be held hostage by, let's say even if there's like 5,000 protesters uh, who want to say their piece, that they have the right to just gum everything up. You know, um, this is kind of a side point, but then I'll get back to it. I've noticed that there's even though Martin Luther King is held in such high high esteem and veneration, there's a real misunderstanding of what his message was about civil disobedience. The point of civil disobedience is that if you believe a law is unjust, you will intentionally break it and assume the consequences of doing so, which could mean going to jail, getting um, hurt, losing your house. I mean, there's all kinds of consequences depending on what society you live in, dying. But people today in New York, and the political leaders are number one violators of this, seem to believe that if you say you're protesting, well, then you're in a sanctuary state. You're in a sanctuary condition. You're exempt from policing. So I see all these people saying, so-and-so was, these people are peacefully protesting by sitting in the middle of the street or disobeying a policeman's orders. And then they were arrest, knocked down or arrested or told to move. And that's police brutality. But that totally misunderstands, the, uh, mis, misreads the meaning of civil disobedience. Um, I, I, it, it's very frustrating to me. Um, regarding finding someone to who's going to maybe be a better candidate at this point. I, it, I don't know. Maybe someone who's going to say like, let's let the police do their jobs. I don't know if, if New York is ready for the return, like for Giuliani part two, but um, maybe. 
and someone who's willing to take on the unions. What do you say about civil disobedience? Like, and of course, you know the 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 sort of uh, to the extent that there are any leaders of this movement, they would then say, "Well, this is why that didn't work. This is why we have to do this." But actually, you know, as our as our colleagues Ralph and Coleman say quite frequently. All of the statistics are pointing in the right direction, you know, in terms of like how often do police use their weapons, like what kind of, uh, you know, how community policing, which de Blasio has been, been doing for six and a half years. I mean, where where was the result of that? But certainly police on civilian shootings statistically. Uh, you know, or down from in the hundreds in the back in the 1970s to very, very unusual every year this year. That's not to say that we can't do better, but things have been improving. They are just not anywhere near perfect. But, you know, 21 years ago, when I first came here, the big the big movement was the mass civil disobedience protest because of the death of Amadou Diallo in the Bronx, an innocent man shot by police because the police thought he he had a gun and it was his it was his wallet. So terrible thing. Many many politicians uh, lined up to protest and to be arrested. There were probably tens of thousands of arrests, but it was all very peaceful. I mean, there was no resisting arrest. There was, you know, the crowds were well controlled by the police. You know, there wasn't any sort of anarchy or chaos. And obviously this is not like that. And I'm not saying the police are innocent. There are some uh, episodes over the weekend that should be investigated. You know, this this is a uh, this is a problem of bad civilian management of the police and a very bad reaction to that. But to say we're going to put up with weeks or months of mass protest chaos and have in any way a city to recover, it just is not making a lot of sense. Um, I totally agree. It's very little of this is making sense, and this idea that the principle of passive resistance. No longer applies should no longer apply to the protesters, but to the police who are supposed to go limp at the prospect of mob violence is just absurd. Right. I mean, an example of that was the two police cars that drove through the crowd over the weekend. And of course, no one is saying it is a good idea for police officers to drive through a crowd, but it was completely taken out of the context, like all over transit Twitter, all over states, uh, safe streets Twitter, which is mostly white men, you know, people saying this is police deliberately ramming into a peaceful crowd. But if you look at the videos, the crowd throws down a metal barrier to block one of the cars passage. The other car drives into a blind trap. The crowd starts to move behind them. So the choice is you sit there, you get surrounded. Or is the, host- the hostile crowd is already throwing projectiles. Someone is jumping on the car. So are they going to wait and be dragged out of the car where the crowd seizes their guns? Are they, are they going to have bombs thrown into the car, which has happened multiple times over the past few days? Like there were just no good choices in that situation. It's their fault for making such a tactical error to get themselves into that choice. But there's no there's no subtlety or middle ground here. It's just the police tried to run over peaceful protesters, which is just not at all the case in any 
fair, factual narrative. No, and none of the leaders who are condemning it. Although I will give Bill de Blasio a little bit of credit in that he pushed back on the idea that the police were necessarily wrong. He, he said, yeah. this was not a good situation. I wish it hadn't happened that way. But, you know, what were they supposed to do? And it's true. Um, and no one will answer that. Yep, and we had we had two young ladies arrested for uh, tossing Molotov cocktails, which are basically bombs. But they were also manufacturing bombs to hand out to the crowd. So it's not insane to say this is a strategy to trap police vehicles and then bomb them. Bomb I mean, them, yes. That this is just a peaceable crowd that wants a dialogue with the police is just far beyond the bounds of reality. Uh, far beyond the bounds of reality is where many of us feel we are. Nicole, thank you for joining us today on 10 Blocks. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, as always. Likewise, and stay safe out there. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.